Welcome to the Stray Dog Film Lounge, where three stray dogs have bonded over our love of movies. I'm Colin. My name's Ross. And I'm Ian. Today we'll be talking about Megan, the new Blumhouse movie, and Todd Field's 2001 feature debut in the bedroom that was recommended by Colin. Yes, so. All right, so are we talking about, I guess we're talking about Megan first, huh? Yeah. So it was my idea that we watch Megan, because what other big movies are out this this week? You know what I didn't know is that it was PG-13. It does, I I mean, that is like, that's very like typical January movie is like, here is the PG-13 horror movie that all the teens see. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I I didn't like it. You didn't like the movie? Did not care for Megan? Yeah, it was kind of boring. It was really like predictable too. Yeah. Um, I feel like if they deviated from like the a scene that really drove me crazy was when they show Megan for the first time with the niece and that you know shitty boss character, and it's sort of like I want so many of these. We're gonna we're gonna do all this stuff and blah 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 blah. I'm like, why not have a character literally be like so fearful of this thing? That it's like this is a cool ass invention, but this is not a good idea well, <laughs> to sell to people. I feel like that that goes into a, a deeper problem, which is uh, Ronnie Wait, C.A. guys, who plays guys, Megan's guys, boss. guys. We've lost the plot on the audience. We should probably explain what Megan is. <laughs> oh right, yeah. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. We're only on episode two. What's Megan about? Yeah, on episode two, <laughs> <What's> Me- <laughs> the Megan movie is about. A woman creates a killer robot doll that is so lifelike it becomes almost like a parent. Yeah, it's like she like creates this robot with the intent of taking care of her niece because she can't be bothered to. Because she's too career oriented. She 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 didn't want to have to take care of her niece, and but mm-hmm. then her sister and her husband dies, so she has she's left in the will to take care of her niece Gemma. Actually, no. Her, her niece Katie, her niece. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. Gemma's the, the Gemma's the, the aunt Gemma. And then, Gemma's um, Allison Williams from yeah. Famous mm-hmm. from Get Out, yeah. and yeah. With with Allison Williams, I just I don't think she can play a protagonist. You know what I mean? There's just something. <laughs> the, 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 like Jordan Peele made perfect use of Allison Williams and Get Out. I'm going to I'm going to be the main defender of this movie, I think. I think I'm going to be fighting yeah, two are. guys. I thought Allison Williams was good casting because she does represent a kind of a, a, a human disconnect. Like she does have kind of an unfeeling nature and her character is an asshole. Like she's mean to that neighbor's dog. You know, she's a bitch to that neighbor. She doesn't really... Uh, she, she builds a whole robot so she doesn't have to do the work of taking care of a child, you know? But, but at the end, it's never reconciled. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, like there, there's no completion to any kind of arc with her. Yeah, 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 there, you know, yeah there... It didn't feel hmm. complete. Oh, she becomes, like, a parent, like, after having to deal with, you know, some crazy shit. I mean, the other thing that I just don't like about her is the fact that she, like, half the time she doesn't even give a shit about her niece. I get I get that's the point of her character, but I want one of these types of movies to literally be, like, putting their work on the back burner. You know, it, it's something where I've seen this before. Like, this should have been 
the Child's Play remake that came out a few years ago. I think I think I mean this is better than the Child's Play remake, like isn't it? I mean I never saw. I it. I think so, so too. I think the context behind it makes more sense. Like this seems like a product that would exist in the real world more than that that weird revamp Chucky doll that's creepy yeah, on purpose. Yeah. The product is great. I think Megan's creepy as shit. Yeah. But oh, yeah. I, I think everything around that character is boring and dull. No, I, I disagree because I like I like the aesthetic of this world, like what it's going for. Like it's not in the in the near future. It basically takes place in, in modern day. And it's I think it takes place in like 2025. But it's like pretty like much now because like all the technology looks pretty current. You know, she's using Photoshop, and it looks like normal Photoshop. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, I mean, I think, like, what the movie's, like... I mean, obviously, what the movie's trying to talk about is iPad kids. Yeah, I, like, I I think yeah. that this movie definitely t- uh, touches on some very salient themes. And what's yeah. really interesting is that after I watched this movie, my laptop just bugged out and died the next day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's just about technology bad. No, there's more to it than that. Oh yeah, no, it, it talks about our dependency. It's about raising children mm-hmm. in the in this current world of technology and the amount of uh, of of you know slack we give to technology to do the work for us. Yeah, well, that was also when we were kids yeah. too. Like you know, the TV and the internet, even though it was in early days. That essentially raised us for the most part. Yeah, but I mean, like TV and like TV and video games. Yeah, but they, we weren't like this was pre. Like now, now everything's run on an algorithm that's tracking your interests and catering things for you. That was the interesting part about it. Yeah, because like how Megan is able to detect the emotions. Exactly. So that's um, that's what's scary because that's that. like that's like that's like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's fine and it's yeah. scary and I really dig that, but I want more than that with the other characters. I mean, I think what you're missing is like do you wish it was like scarier cuz I agree like it's more I think it leans more towards the It satire. needed to be scarier because even like in the beginning, the beginning of the movie is very RoboCop. Yeah. Yeah. With the Furby thing, yeah. Yeah, it's something where I wanted the film A to be R and B to have more of a a horror edge to it. Yeah. I think you really could have combined the two. Which is surprising cuz I should mention, do you know who wrote this? Akila um, Cooper. Akila Cooper, yeah, the, yeah. the writer of Malignant. And that's what I was going to say uh, about this movie. Is I didn't that, like that either. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I really like Akila Cooper's work. I think her writing oh, is yeah. really funny. She has a great sense of humor. Yeah. My main qualm with this movie is the direction. Gerard jo- uh, Johnstone, who directed it. Because I, I looked at an interview, too. And he said that he didn't want to make a, a campy, goofy film like Child's Play. Yeah, he did. And he said what he was going for was a self-aware and offbeat film. So, which is the the most annoying thing about contemporary Hollywood is the self-awareness. I, it's definitely self-aware, but it is still can't be goofy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's not anything what he's describing, like, at all. Yeah, I don't think the director understood the, the writing, because... Yeah. It's not really. It's not self-referential. It, not like, at the all. Comedy's not self-referential. It just is. It just exists. Yeah. Like I really enjoy Akila Cooper's script. I think it's a yeah. good script. I just think the casting and the direction is wrong in this movie. I, I mean, I think, I think Alison Williams is that her name? Oh uh, yeah. Yes. I think she works for in it at least for the first and second act. 
Because I do think she does play that like uncaring oh, yeah. parent figure really well. And I think that works for the themes the movie's trying to present of like just bailing on your kids and, and shoving it off to uh, some technology that we don't even fully understand. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that it's something I don't have an issue with the writing like Colin. It's just, it's like you said, it's like the direction, the acting choices. I feel like, I feel like technically it's a well made movie, but it's just really boring. <laughs> and also, all the actors are on a different page in what type of movie they're in. Yeah. Like Ronnie Shiank, the guy who plays Gemma's boss, is a Malaysian comedian, and he's totally hamming it up. And I enjoy yeah. it, but it's yeah. just yeah, of totally off kilter with what Alison Williams is doing. Like, that should have been more of an Elon Musk type. That guy should have been played by Stanley Tucci, man. Stanley what is tu- with you and Stanley Tucci? S- Stanley Tucci <laughs> is a great American actor. Yes, I agree with you. You know, his work in Transformers 4 was incredible. Impeccable. Can yeah. we uh, can we acknowledge the performance of uh, the two performers that play Megan, though? Oh, that was the... She did the best, or they did the best, I should say. So, Megan's body is performed by Amy, Don- uh, Amy Donald, who is... How old is she? She, I don't know. She's like twelve or something. She's a, she is phenomenal with the movements and just the. Oh yeah. Like the and and she gets the she has the body language down like it's robotic but also, you get that sense of sass that Megan has. Yeah. And then also Jenna Davis, who's a, a vo- who's an accomplished voice actress, uh, she's she's great in this too. What is she known for? She's in she's on Infinity Train stuff like that i really loved when when megan she's in the woods and she's chasing down the bully like her being on all fours i was like oh that's creepy as fuck the fact that like a little girl is able to do that while also wearing a silicone head <laughs> yeah is so in- <laughs> that takes fucking she's talent. an athlete like i wouldn't be surprised if she has a background in gymnastics and stuff big props to uh amy donald and also i did like that that scene in the forest is awesome with that bully like it's delightful because he's such a little shithead when he tells his mom uh fuck you <laughs> yeah that was great because that's, that's also great. such a great satire on the types of parents it, uh, like yeah. i don't know if you guys have done any babysitting but but the types of <laughs> kids God, no. <laughs> I've, I've had to do i did a lot of babysitting in college especially for my dad's clients mm who are all predominantly on the wealthy side because he's a massage therapist. And uh, the, the kids just aren't, aren't that well-behaved at all. In fact, uh, they, they are the type of kids that tell their parents to go fuck themselves. Yeah. You know? But they're always like, oh, he's an angel. And I would, I would, <laughs> they would always say to me afterwards, Colin, how was so-and-so? And I would just be like, well, to be honest, he called me an asshole today and he said that I'm a loser and that, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, and there was just like, well, well, you just you just don't get him yet. You you, you gotta understand yeah, him better. I'd say fuck off. <laughs> and so after a while, I'm just like, you know what? I I'm not gonna help these kids grow. So whenever the parent asked me how was my kid today, I would just say they were great. You know what I mean? I kind of have a similar experience because I went one school I went to was all grades. So there'd be times where we would be in class with little kids. For the most part, they were fine. There was like a couple like 
pain in the ass here, maybe pain in the ass there. But for the most part, they weren't too rambunctious. And then now with this like current generation of kids, it's it is off the wall a little bit. And these kids will cry if you take the iPad away from them, or if you shut the computer off. Like they will go feral if they're without this stuff. And that's why I think Megan works so well as a metaphor. It's like we literally built the perfect friend for her yeah and but like now we're like oh she's murdering people we better take her away now look what you've done to the child <laughs> she's like flipping the fuck i out. know and i loved how annoyed allison williams got too at the girl who by the way was played by valid mccraw and she did a great job mm-hmm. like that that girl had a great stink face like when, when she yeah, was yeah. without megan like i was genuinely scared of that little girl and so i think <laughs> yeah. she definitely has a career in front of her she did a really good job on the scene where like she's opening up to megan yeah that was like the to me that was my favorite part that that was also my favorite part because of uh megan singing <laughs> like yeah. like that disney song that disney that was, type that song. was just really creepy more than <laughs> more than nice. no that that was so funny to me like the fact that she breaks into this magical song about how she'll always be there for her you know what i think is the dumbest thing from this movie though that is more from i, I would say the marketing side is the fucking dance she does randomly at the end of the movie i thought that was funny <laughs> that made it's me not laugh funny that made me laugh. It's cringe. I wish there was more dancing for multiple reasons. One, because I like the camp factor. Dancing yeah. is fun. Uh, and that's what the movie was marketed on. I wanted to see the robot dance. And then two, she just she did just dance out of nowhere. If she had if it was already established earlier in the movie that she dances and that's a thing she does, then it would be kind of more fun, you know? But they just they just it just feels like they just plug they just had her dance in this one shot so they have a trailer moment we need a gif that's what i'm saying there's like a major disconnect between the script and the direction you know what i mean yeah. like i think this is a great script yeah this needed like direction from like a john waters type oh even a yes. sam raimi yeah a I, sam raimi type sam yeah. raimi would be great even james wan yeah, why, I'm confused why James Wan didn't do this. Maybe he's still working on Aquaman, but, like, he should have done this. I will say, too, as a, a side note, if we're talking, you know, for Malignant, I wasn't a big fan of it either. Um, the gore was fun, but it was a basket case ripoff <laughs> more than anything. Well, what's wrong with that? No one seems basket case. I've seen basket case many times. Well, well you... You're, you're a, a B-movie nerd, you know what I mean? Oh, like, oh, like oh this... classic film, Basket Case, that everyone knows. Yeah, like, this is in Launch of Arabia. <laughs> Should be shown in film schools, just saying. No, but, but like, that can be someone's entry into Basket Case and that director's mm-hmm. work. Like, Ian, no, like, no, you I could, still like you it. Could... I mean, also, like, I haven't seen Basket Case, but is Basket Case a better movie than Malignant? Yes, Okay, then. <laughs> I'm not saying it for a biased sense. I'm saying it for a film. It's actually really well done. I'll have to check it out. I've been really meaning to get into that director's role because he, he did Frankenhooker 2. Which oh, Frankenhooker's awesome. These are great titles. Yeah, mm-hmm. which was shot in Clifton, New Jersey, my mm-hmm. hometown. Oh, really? Yeah. Neat. That's cool. Oh, Frankenhooker's so, great. So th- this guy makes like really fun sounding films. You should definitely check his work out sometime later on the podcast. Mm-hmm. His, All name, right. his name is Frank Henenlotto, and he did Brain Damage, Basket Case, and Frankenhooker. He did Brain Damage? Oh, he did. Dude. 
This, ass guy, this guy knew how to make his uh, exploitation B movies. Anything else you want to say about about Megan? Um, this movie did phenomenally well somehow. at the box office. This is very good for a January movie. Yeah, it made ninety million dollars on a twelve million budget, and not only that, but it, it it's also it's the second highest Blumhouse production, like on. Ron Tomatoes is the second highest rated. Is number one Get Out? Oh yeah. Wait, wait didn't, isn't Blum, isn't Whiplash a Blumhouse movie? Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's A twenty four. No, no, no. A24. I think Whiplash is Blumhouse. Yeah. So this means that Megan is rated higher than Whiplash. <laughs> you know, I'll say this: my final thoughts on Megan. It's a pretty movie. It's got a cool villain. And I love Brick the Robot because he was my favorite character. And when the kid finally used him at the end of the movie, I was like, finally someone used their brain. Yeah, that was a cool... That that, yeah. that, that was that was a fun, satisfying uh Robot thing. v. Robot. Dawn of yeah. Gears. Yeah, robot fights are just incredibly satisfying in movies. Yeah, well, that's why there's like seven Transformers movies. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just really fun to watch. It's like ro- Rock'em Sock'em Robots for, that you played as a kid. It's There's just something really cathartic about watching robots fight. Um, anyway, I uh, I fact-checked myself. Uh, Blumhouse did produce Whiplash. Boom! So, <laughs> so this means that Megan has a higher rating on Rotten Tomatoes than Whiplash. So critics really love this movie. I do think over time that tomato score could go down. I, I do think Because so. I do think I do think this this movie is being graded on a curve because like it it's is a really good. Movie. It's a it's good for a January movie. It's never boring, I don't think. Ian my Ian thinks it's boring, but I was never bored. Yeah, it kept me interested when Megan was doing shit. But that, when, mean, yeah. whenever it was anything else, I was just thinking about what kind of groceries I needed for next day. So yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie has a really good script. I I really like Akila Cooper. I think her work is really funny, and I want her to keep on making more movies. But the director just didn't get it, man. I yeah, I wish the director understood that this should be camp and ridiculous, and it, yeah. it's really only it's it's. It's really on, the only things that are like camp and ridiculous are things that are written into the script. It feels like there's mm-hmm. nothing like really uh, the like the like 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 you mentioned the boss. Like he's like mm-hmm. he is like funny in that self-aware way. Like he's a comedian trying to be funny when really he should be funny because the character is ridiculous. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. This is a guy who's running a toy company competing with fisher price and he wants to be up there with tesla <laughs> like <sighs> okay yeah. so what are we gonna rate this from one to five guys i gave it uh, a three and a half stars on letterboxd okay con i gave it three stars on letterboxd. i'm gonna go with the harsh i'm giving it a two stars megan's gonna come after you Megan's coming uh, after that's you. That's great, and I'm gonna just be fine because I can kick a little toy doll. <laughs> Ian, I really hope that one day you're gonna be approached to make a Megan sequel. Meforgan. Me? Yeah, sure. I, I really hope that happens. 
Yeah, and I'll—I mean, look, I'm gonna say yes, but <laughs> I really want there to be another Megan movie because I like the character of Megan. I just want them to have a different director because this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. how do you think they're gonna bring back Megan? Are they just gonna build a new one and be like, yeah. "Ah, it's fine. The same software. It's fine. It doesn't matter." <laughs> They'll probably do some bullshit where it's like she's finally upgraded to her final form or something like that. No, what I think is that a terrorist organization is going to get the code for Megan. <laughs> and so instead instead of making a toy, they're actually trying to make a killing weapon. But Megan still has the memory of the little girl, Katie Ryan, and wants to find her again. And so, like, she kills, like, the, the entire terrorist camp and tries to get back to America to find Katie again. This would make a great sequel, guys. <laughs> All right. So, what's our next? In, in the bedroom? In the bedroom. Colin, this was your pick. You want to start it off? Do you want to tell your uh, story about meeting Todd Field first? I would love to. So, Ian, for some reason, Ian has, I don't know if he's found a loophole or something like that, but he gets these tickets for these wonderful screening events. And uh, I'm right when I say this, right, Ian? Oh, yeah. I don't know where the fuck they came from, so I'm just happy I get them. You just signed up for enough things and then you get passes to stuff? Why not, right? We just get free passes. Yeah, you know, and so we, uh, uh, Ian invited me to go to this thing, and it was in, on 57th Street in New York, and it was in one of the bougiest hotels that I've ever been in, and when we went down there, like, everything was provided for us, like, like there was free drinks, there was free, uh, finger food, there was free popcorn, what kind like of finger one. food? <laughs> well, were, there, were, were there pigs in a blanket? Yes. No. Oh, wait. Yeah, afterwards. 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 Yeah, afterwards. After the movie. Wait, wait. Were we'll there little spring that. rolls? Yes. yes. Afterwards. Okay. But anyway, Ian and I have never had never seen a Todd Field movie before. This is our first time. And Ian, I think that, that I can speak for both of us when I say that we were utterly blown away by Tar. Tar we, was fucking incredible. That's the best way to describe it. I was not prepared for that movie to be that good. I thought it was just going to be a, 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 another prestige, like, like quote-unquote prestige movie where a famous actor plays like a person in the classical music world and she realizes, oh no, my love for my art has kept me away from my family so long. It's no. time to reconnect with my family. No, actually, her her love for her art has turned her into a monster. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's... Um, she's not even the love person. for her art, the love for herself, her ego. <laughs> love of herself and like her just skill level has put her at a place where she can do whatever the hell she wants with no no nothing stopping her until no now. Until it does. Until this it's a Me Too movie. Yeah, it, it, it totally is a Me Too movie. And and what I really like about that movie too is that it's a Me Too movie with a female antagonist. Mm-hmm. You know what I yeah. mean? Because uh, generally, when we think of Me Too, we think of monsters like Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, and there was a gigantic backlash from the Me Too movement. But it was says like men are garbage, men only want one thing, and it's fucking disgusting, etc., yeah. etc. Et but we've all seen the memes and so forth. And and this movie just shows that it's not only just men and though inherently 
admittedly disgusting sex drive that, that drives them to do uh, these horrendous things, it says that sometimes if you don't have humility and you don't recognize that you're expendable, power can corrupt absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not about sexism. It's about power. I mean, like mm-hmm. these aren't like as gigantic of examples, but it's like, you know, Ellen DeGeneres is is, is an asshole who got away with a lot. Uh, Katy Perry mm-hmm. has been kind of a creep around uh, younger men. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like there's that. um. Oh yeah, I was just kind of like um. Okay, I can give you a couple examples. Uh, give me uh, one d- because we have to keep moving on this. Yeah, cause, cause we're, we're talking about we're supposed to be talking about in the bedroom, and <laughs> we're still talking about tall right now. <laughs> G- give me give me this Katy Perry thing. I'm intrigued by this Katy Perry thing. Do you remember YouTube Live? Yes, I do, and it was a nightmare. Like the very first like live broadcast YouTube yeah. did, and it was like a big mm-hmm. concert thing. Okay. So Bo Burnham was up, right? It was like Bo Burnham's performance on YouTube Live. And Katy Perry uh, was like introing him. And Katy Perry's like, and our next our next performer is Bo Burnham. And he got famous and he's done all these things and so-and-so. And he's only 18. Thank God he's 18 at least. That's and like Bo looks visibly That's not bad. That's not no, but ter- swap not the genders. Catchable. Swap the genders. Imagine if a man said that to a girl. <laughs> but imagine if Katy Perry said, "Good thing I get to fuck this guy." Yeah, <laughs> you like, know you what I mean. It. I had but, a major crush no, no, on her just, when I was fifteen. For sure. If, for if sure. Katy but just Perry swap it. Made swap a the genders. Joke. If Katy Perry made genders. a public joke saying, "Good thing I get to fuck Colin now," I, that would be the proudest <laughs> moment of my entire life. <laughs> yeah, but like after some time, wouldn't you feel like a little used for a bit? You know? No, no not it's at all. Right. Perry. <laughs> it's Katy Perry. Katy Perry's Perry. Not, Katy Perry has some big boobs, but she's not like the hottest. She's beautiful. Person. You take right. that she is back. pristine, you my bastard. man. She is pristine. She's a, she's like a target mom now. Like that's her vibe now. Okay, she's a sexy she's like very ass target tacky. mom. She's so so you're saying she's a MILF? Yeah. Anyway, speaking of MILFs. Speaking of MILFs. <laughs> speaking of We got MILF, a movie that pretends that. it's a... We, it's a movie that from the first scene just makes it seem like it's a delightful romance about mm-hmm. how great it is to have a MILF in your life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the, that beginning scene is so pristine, so beautiful... I didn't know my body was capable of producing that much serotonin until I watched that scene. It is very and nice. It's so I daydreamed nice. myself as who a doesn't, character. Who doesn't want to run through a field with Marissa Tomei? And just yeah. l- sleep under a tree. <laughs> like, it, it was just lovely. Absolutely yeah. lovely. <laughs> and then the movie happened. <laughs> and then the movie happened. But it yeah. doesn't, the, the twist doesn't happen immediately either. You oh, know spoilers, what I mean? by the way. Is it spoiler warning? Yeah, there's oh, yeah. going to be a whole spoiler thing for this movie. Yeah, if so. you don't want to be spoiled for In the Bedroom, uh, skip to the time code listed in the description. We'll deal mm-hmm. with that time code yeah. thing later. Yeah. All right. You want to get? Do, do we want to get into like the big twist? Oh, God. Yeah, we'll get into the big that twist. That the so, shit out of me, man. Basically, like, the, whole, the whole deal with the, the, what this movie's about is uh, uh, it takes place in Maine. Young guy uh, getting ready to go to college. Uh, is having a, a summer what 
uh, well, he tells his mom it's just a summer fling with uh, Marissa Tomei's character, who's like, you know, literally a MILF. She is a mother of young children, uh, and she is hot. Um, and But it's a, that's not her whole character that she's hot. Like, this is a well-developed character. No, the, uh, this is she's... Todd Field writing. Yeah, and it's Todd good Field It's good is writing. a great writer. It's not but... Colin Weir writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not Ross Stern writing either. Yeah, yeah. No, right, yeah. Yeah, no my, mine would be very, like, much dumber. Okay, so Marissa Tomei uh, is, is dating this young guy, and she has an ex-husband who uh, is a dick and is not very happy about uh, Marissa Tomei uh, dating this guy. And also... Uh, or oh, dating any guy. The name, the name of the kid is Frank. So, like, Frank's mom's not too into this. Frank's dad yeah. is, like, pretty chill with it. He, he kind of wishes... He, he, he's no, kind of proud of his son. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in, in the barbecue <laughs> scene, he's like, man, dude, I sure wish I had that in my youth, you know? Yeah. Which, like, is, like, which is good. He's a proud any, any dad, Any dad would be like that, you know? Yeah, if some, if my dad saw me dating Marissa Tomei now, he'd be like, shit. <laughs> so what the twist is, is uh, Marissa Tomei's ex-husband fucking kills the main character 30 minutes into the movie. <laughs> Yeah, that was a him. fucking shock. I did not expect that. But uh, there was a little bit of foreshadowing, too. Was there? There really? was, because they have that altercation earlier on. Black eye, yeah. And Sissy mm. Spacek, Frank's mom is like, I need to call the police, because for all we know, he can shoot you next time. She says yeah. that. Ah, uh, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that is good foreshadowing. But, but like, we as the audience are just like, uh, this is uh, some asshole guy from New England, since this is in Maine, who likes the Red Sox too much, who, who just drinks too much, and uh, who, who just slaps the kid around sometimes. He's not homicidal. He won't shoot the kid, you know? He's just and kind of a dick. He's just kind of a dick. And then he shoots the kid. And it's funny, because when they introduce the character, his name's Richard, he's wearing the dorkiest clothes of all time, and he's in a white shot. So like and he's like the way he walks is like so, like it's very swingy. It's very swingy. Like he walks like, like to- a kid. <laughs> Todd Todd Field is really giving us a red herring here because yeah. like he's really making him seem like a totally non-threatening character, and then uh, who's just like really angry, but like he just needs to blow off st- steam, and then like we, and then we get the call from from uh, Natalie's kid. That, that daddy's home and he's trying to beat up mommy and Frank being the good young lad that he is he goes over there and he he fucking shoots him he fucking yeah. shoots him yeah and that close up right on that shot up face was fucking shocking honestly <laughs> I did not see that coming I yeah. audibly went out loud holy shit mm. <laughs> And it's like, I feel them. it's like, I should have known better. This is a Todd Field movie. There's gonna be a wild twist. This isn't gonna be an enjoyable summer romance. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I knew there was gonna be drama. Like, I knew it wouldn't just be a movie about having hot sex with Marissa Tomei. But, like, I I didn't expect the main character to die in Act (laughs) 1. I was expecting this to be, like, Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. But instead, like, of Army Hamill, it's Marissa Tomei. (laughs) And... becomes two different genres after that first it becomes like a drama about two parents mourning their son and then it becomes uh, a revenge plot 
Yeah. A revenge thriller. <laughs> a really good one, too. Yeah. <laughs> a really good one. Oh, my God. You know what really stuck out for me, though, during the movie is the silent moments with all the characters just sort of sitting down and reflecting. It's such a... It's such a terrific... Um, interpretation of just grief. That moment where uh, they're all playing cards, mm-hmm. and, and he's just like fucking say something. Yeah, just all all the friends are all talking amongst themselves, not making a conversation with him. He's like, just say something, just tell me something, anything. And then, and then that the 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 one poet guy of the group mm-hmm. like takes a moment and he like gives this beautiful poem dedicated to him. Like that's wow. Yeah, no, that that hurt. <laughs> yeah. Oof. I just, I love the way Todd Field writes dialogue and writes screenplays in general because he really doesn't care about having a complete scene. He just cares mm. about the golden moment. And so mm. each of his scenes is just this little haiku where it says the moment that matters most and he doesn't bother introducing the characters. He doesn't bother showing them leaving the room. He just cares about the meat of the scene. Come and in so late, he, leave early. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and Todd Field movies, just from what I've seen of him so far, the, the two out of three movies of his that I've seen. Yeah, we got to watch Little Children is on HBO. I've actually seen Little Children. I didn't know he did that. Oh, how is Little Children? Oh, that's fantastic, man. That's really fucking good. Okay, well, c- congratulations. You've seen you've seen 100% of Todd Field's filmography. Yeah! You are a Todd Field completist. Well, I, Todd Field, his, completist. his directorial work, he is also yes. an actor. He's also a great actor. Yeah. He was Nick Nightingale in Eyes Wide Shut. Yep. <laughs> yep. He can play piano blindfolded while people fuck behind him. Why not? Uh, it pays the Did bills. Did you know he was also the co-founder? He he co-invented Big League Chew. No shit. Really? Yeah. It was like yeah. He was like in like uh he was in little league baseball. He was like twelve or thirteen, and uh and like him and his friend like came up with the idea. They bought a kit to make like a kit of ingredients on how to make bubble gum and they like shredded it up and put it in a bag and they sold it to, to Wrigley. Um, and, and when I first heard this, I thought that like, Oh, so that's how he got his millions. So he can just make movies every now and then when he feels like it. No, not really. Um, cause he was on, uh, if you listen to the, what the fuck podcast with Mark Marin, he's on the newest episode. He explains that. No, that that's not what happened. He, it's just a, it's just a cool story. He didn't make. Uh, he he didn't strike a deal with Wrigley, so he's forever rich. He just yeah. sold the idea to Wrigley, and that was it. And but, by the way, Todd yeah. Field hasn't just been sitting on his ass for the past sixteen years. He's been trying really hard to get a lot of different projects off the ground, and he does. Ha- people haven't been biting, you know. Yeah. So so Todd was the first project that he was finally allowed to direct, but he's got so many scripts ready to go. Because I wish we asked him a little bit more about, like, what kind of projects. Are they dramas? Are they, like, big blockbusters or something? There was, you never I, I think there was there was one movie, and I forget what movie it was, but it was it was mentioned in the Mark Maron podcast. It was, um, there was, like, one movie that's based on a book that he was going to do, but then he couldn't do it anymore, and, and Sam Mendes wound up doing it. Boo! Yeah, so, Sam Mendes is a hack. Boo! Sam Mendes sounds familiar. What did he do? American Beauty, 1917, a couple James Bond movies. 
Uh, oh, that that, that new movie, um, Empire of Light. Empire of Light. He like only makes Oscar movies. He only makes Oscar bait. Uh, he's a hack. Yeah, not even like good Oscar movies. Like the one movie that he makes that's great, that's hard to watch these days because of Kevin Spacey in it. Oh yeah, well, he's a pedo uh, in that too, right? So. He's a, yeah, he's so a pedo. It makes in sense. That. It was it makes more sense. foreshadowing. <laughs> it's typecasting. Yes, but. it's typecasting. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> when they were casting, they're like, oh, he just kind of gives off a pedo vibe. He's probably a creep. Oh, no. <laughs> the, the sad thing is everyone knew about what Kevin Spacey was doing for a very long time. This uh, It's the same thing with Harvey Weinstein. Everyone knew that Harvey Weinstein was an asshole since his first movie, like the, the 1988 Slash of the Burning. So it wasn't even like power corrupted Harvey Weinstein. He was Total just an inherently note. terrible guy. Yeah, yeah. Ian? The burning's really good. Just as a side note, I know it was made by a terrible monster, but it's it's good. <laughs> well, guys, we're missing a big important uh, factor since we're talking about Harvey Weinstein and Me Too, and also uh, in the bedroom. Uh, this is a this is a Miramax movie produced by Harvey Weinstein. Oh uh, shit! In yes. the bedroom. Oh, and there's a great story uh, that circulated recently about, and it's also talked about in this Mark Maron podcast I listened to today. Uh, basically, the movie hit Sundance, and you know we did the 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 thing after getting all the Sundance acclaim of like trying to sell it to various studios, and like no one would take it, and then Miramax took it, right? And then Harvey Weinstein is trying to do his usual Harvey Weinstein thing of like editing the movie to bits and, like, completely changing it to try and make it as sellable as possible. Yeah, he fucked up Halloween 6 so bad, dude. So, Todd Field is, like, having a breakdown. He's crying in the bathroom because of, you know, Harvey Weinstein's trying to destroy his movie, his debut feature. And so, uh, he calls up his his best friend, I don't know his best friend, his very good friend, Tom Cruise. Eyes wide shut. They were both on eyes wide shut, baby. Yeah. And also, Tom, I would... If I were friends with Tom Cruise, I would ask for his advice on everything. Oh, of oh, course. Yeah. The man's oh, the except, man. A, except for finding the best religion. <laughs> uh, but, let's let's um, cut that part out. <laughs> nah, nah. Let's, we're keeping it in. Keep it in. Fuck the Church uh, of Scientology. All right. Anyway. I'll sue you. <laughs> um, so, Harvey Weinstein's about to chop up uh, Todd Field's movie. Todd Field is freaking out. He calls up Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is like, Todd... It'll take you six months, but you got to do exactly this, okay? All right? So basically what he tells Todd is that uh, just do whatever Harvey Weinstein wants. Make all the edits. Just keep editing. Like, maybe be like, oh, we should edit that thing instead, right? And keep showing each new cut that he does with Weinstein to test audiences. And the test audiences are going to hate it, right? So just Mm -hmm. keep doing re-edits over and over again for six months uh, and keep getting bad <laughs> test audience scores, right? Mm-hmm. And then after six months, uh, say, you know what? Maybe, maybe we were, maybe we had something with the first cut. Let's do a test with that and see what they think. What a fucking genius! <laughs> and then this is Tom Cruise's advice. He's a genius because he's 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 in the producing game and he's worked with Weinstein, you know, and the galaxy brain. Yeah, gal- yeah, he is galaxy brain. Nice. He's got that. He's on that. He's on that Xenu shit. He's on the Xenu. Uh, so yeah, they test the the version that showed at Sundance. They and they love it. Now it can be released in its original form. <laughs> so it's just six months of editing for no reason, just to go back to the first one. So basically, he was just like kissing Harvey Weinstein's ass for six months, saying, "Yeah, sure, you know, what? let's cut this thing out too. Let's get rid of that." And it's like, 
I love that. That's a great story. Surprise, a, motherfucker. That's a great piece of advice for Hell working yeah. with uh, terrible producers. Hell you know? yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, I do think the fact that he has experience with Weinstein does give a lot of context to Tar. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For sure. Really, really interesting fella. Yeah. I mean, th- this also really helps our conversation about the burning. Yeah. Because <laughs> so I don't know what we're the burning talk- is. Is Harvey Weinstein's first uh, p- uh, producer credit. Oh, okay. Because we're literally talking about a Harvey Weinstein-produced film right now in the bedroom. So if if we're saying that we're not going to discuss any Harvey Weinstein movies on this podcast... Oh, no, it's impossible to not discuss Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> you movies. know what I mean? Like, Can I fucking rant about what he did to Halloween 6 just for, just for a smidge, just for a little smidge? Okay, so uh, so let me have this, this moment. Go on for a very long time. I, that's what gonna... that's what they're listening. You know, they're, they're listening for our personalities. This is part of it. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Halloween Five sucked. It just did. So they had to do like a six-year-long trek until the next one. So why did it take that long? Because there were so many different drafts, so many different scripts, and eventually the rights for Halloween gave out. So, what they had to do was uh, Miramax and Dimension Films, they picked it up. So, Harvey Weinstein and his brother, Bob Weinstein, right? That's yeah, I, I believe okay. it's Bob. Um, mm-hmm. So, they get it. They're all excited. And they all want to do it. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Doing a Halloween movie. It'll be fun. Like a resurgence to Michael Myers and all that kind of shit. Um, and Mustafa Akkad, who was sort of the godfather of the whole series he was from like producing from the first movie all the way until his passing i think the last one he did was resurrections um but during this whole this whole production the weinsteins would consistently call about dailies that they didn't like they wanted this not that like cut this cut that do this do that so many different nonsensical things that made zero sense to everyone involved. And eventually they just took the movie, edited it to shit, and they put all, like, stupid, you know, like, oh, super flashy cuts, this, that, here, there, like a white flash here, a white flash there, and added more gore at the end for absolutely no reason outside of it to be gory, um, which I don't mind, but at the same time, it ruins the suspense factor of it. And even... Danielle Harris, who played a main character in Halloween 4 and 5, she was all set, like, hey, man, you know, I, I can't wait to do, you know, the next one. And her character, just spoilers for Halloween 6, gets fucking <laughs> killed off in the first 15 minutes of the movie. And, I mean, as a, a fan of the series, I was pissed. And just knowing that this tanked, so bad and just almost destroyed the franchise up until Jamie Lee Curtis came back for Halloween uh, or H2O. So fuck the Weinsteins with all the crazy shit they did, but also it just irks me of what they did to Halloween. Like, it just sounds like Harvey isn't a good filmmaker. No. (laughs) (laughs) This is what Harvey Weinstein's skill is, is marketing, because he is, he basically invented oscar bait like his whole business model became uh we can make more money if 
uh, we make a movie that wins a bunch of Oscars because there's like a statistic at the time that said like after a movie wins, you know, an Academy Award, then people go back against the theaters or people that didn't see it before go to the theaters to see it. And it, it does even better. Right. Yeah. So like he kind of invent the whole idea of like Taylor making these films to win Oscars. And that's why like movies like Crash exist, not the Cronenberg <laughs> one, the bad one. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Or, or like Shakespeare in Love or like mm-hmm. any of those yeah. new Miramax movies. Life, Life is yeah. Beautiful is a is a Miramax oh, is? distributed. Oh, it's a okay. Miramax distributed uh, Italian film. I don't. I do not like Life is Beautiful, but Mel Brooks's least favorite film. It is. Oh wow. Mine too. I, if you ask Mel Brooks what his least favorite movie is, it's Life, Life is, is beautiful. beautiful. I've never seen it. Maybe we'll talk about it on the podcast someday because it, it would be fun to hate watch it again. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> Ross, if you make us watch Life is Beautiful, I'm making us watch Wild Hogs. What's Wild Hogs? You don't know Wild Hogs, my friend. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I am just gonna believe Wait, hogs or hogs? Uh, hogs. Like pigs. Like wild hogs. Oh my god, it is. Oh no. <laughs> What's that? What is it? Look, look, Ross, we need to get back on topic, but I'm saying if you make us watch Life is Beautiful, I have an atomic bomb in my back pocket, oh too. Oh, my and it's God. Called, and it's called Wild Hogs, and I will unleash it. It's like Tim Allen, John Travolta, they're like uh, bikers. Yeah. Is it like a comedy? God, that was it's shit. Like, uh, it does look pretty bad. Um... Don't make me unleash Wild Hawks. I will. It could make for good content. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus could make for good anything content. For, anything for the podcast. So we're making a pact. We're making a suicide pact. If I recommend Life is Beautiful, then you have to recommend Wild Hogs. Yeah. Why not? Well, now it seems like something that got. Now it seems <laughs> like something planned. you want to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gotta <laughs> I'm not recommending that shit. I've got to save I, it for I, later, but. Uh, I meant that as a thread, Ross, and you seem like deeply intrigued by the idea of watching Wild Hogs. That that was meant to scare you, <laughs> and you're enticed by it. I'm enti- I like. I enjoy bad movies. I like bad movies. Well, we, uh, I like dissecting well, why movies don't work. That's kind of yeah, you know. That's fun. you don't like. Okay. You don't you like bad movie podcasts. Yeah, you learn some yeah, stuff. Yeah. All um, right. So let's. Uh, we're making a suicide pact. Uh, <laughs> yes, we're, we're virtually shake hands. Yes, we're shaking hands. Virtually, virtually. shaking hands. So, are, are we going to talk more about in the bedroom, or are we just going to give? Okay, because I was like, we went on such a long ass shit. <laughs> I want to talk about the. I want to talk about the revenge plot more because that. Yeah. That was, uh, we we kind of we haven't gone to that yet. We talked about the drama and the the setup. Uh, I thought it was so heartbreaking how they humanized the killer oh that pissed me off no that like because that that makes it more tense like this is a real guy who has children he's a father he has like the, his kids like he really loved this woman you know mm-hmm. like he had a, a motive you know this guy was fucking his wife uh and uh <laughs> you know he, loved, he has his he has his kids picture is like neatly framed up on the wall along his stairs like he they're not just on the fridge they're like neatly put up you know, he has a nice picture of him with Marissa Tomei, you know, and so that really like highlights the like the weight of 
killing someone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a whole life. This is a person who 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 lived. You know. Uh, also, he's not proud of killing the uh, the kid either. He's not proud of killing Frank. I know he like, isn't. He, I don't think he is. No, not at all. Like he's not some dastardly scoundrel like Tristan his mustache who says like. Yeah, I shot that kid, and I'll do it again. He's kind of weaseling out of taking responsibility, you know. Which is, by the way, some really great surprise casting as Karen Allen as his loyal. Because when I see Karen Allen, I think she's the sweetest woman of all time, and she's not going to hold anybody. (laughs) But instead, she's this evil loyal lady who finds a loophole. Did you witness it? (laughs) Yeah. I would have simply been like, I witnessed it with my ears. <laughs> I, no, you know, I would have said I witnessed it. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, I, I, I no, would have lied no, but, on the but, oath. But, but, but first, she said she heard it. Okay. So then, so, because mm-hmm. in the in the report, she said that she saw it, she witnessed it, and then in court, she said she heard it, which is true. And then uh, she can't change her alibi. Yeah, now. she can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This movie is also a great critique of the American legal system. Oh, God, it really yeah. is. You like, it is, I mean? like it's like yeah. his whole reason for getting rid of him. That at least when before he kills him, because I was kind of led on to think like, oh, he's not actually gonna kill him. He's gonna give him a ticket to get out of town. Like he says, like my wife just can't t- take the trial anymore. She he she can't see you around town anymore. It's too much for her. You have to go. Yeah. And and he's like believes him, and I believed him too. He's like, oh, thank mm-hmm. you so much, doctor. You know. I was uh, I was really shocked when it was just like, oh, you know, maybe he's actually gonna let him go, and then all of a sudden, like he just shoots him, yeah. I was because he tried to escape. He tried to make a he tried to make a different turn. He tried to escape. He had to kill him, Mm -hmm. and he couldn't. He didn't have the patience to wait. He killed him. You know. Mm -hmm. But so funny is that everyone was in on it too. Yeah, Yeah, like yeah. There's like a misdirect because his buddy is like, this wasn't the plan. We were gonna take him there first. (laughs) I thought all of a sudden it was just gonna be like, well, of course he. He knows he's bringing him over, um, but out of fucking nowhere, uh, just hearing no, we were gonna shoot him in the woods. I was just like, wait a minute, what the fuck? <laughs> and even when when Tom Wilkinson gets home, Sissy Spacek's first thing that she says to him is, "Did you do it yet?" She co-signs this. This wasn't a secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a secret. Yeah, it's like. God, what a good fucking movie! Great movie. Yeah, I, I, I love, I love how it just looks too. Almost like every shot seems like a painting in this. Yeah. Yes, it's beautiful to look at. How did it look on the DVD you bought? Oh yeah, it looks great. I was, I was totally happy with the transfer, and mm-hmm. I, I was, I was totally happy with everything about that DVD. Even the back packaging, it didn't give away the truth at all. It yeah. says, but when a tragic circumstance happens, they have to reevaluate their lives. Act yeah. one of the movie frames it like the sun's going to be in the whole movie <laughs> and not dying. The movie is opens with the yeah. sun. Like, yeah. like he, they set him up as the protagonist. I really thought that like the like those kind of, there would be a scene with, with, with the song won't back down from back to the ball yard <laughs> where, he, where, he faces, where, he, where he faces up to Richard and it says like, look fella, I love this woman and I'm not leaving her. And like he says the same thing to Sissy Spacek, look mom, it's not a summer romance. I love Marissa Tomei and I'm staying with her. Like I, I, I thought like it was gonna be a movie about this guy falling madly in love with a milf, 
and like just standing up to all the people in his life saying this is the woman for me mm-hmm. you know and and it's not that at all he dies 30 minutes in yeah honestly i feel like this is exactly how it would go down for me if i was dating a milf uh, okay. <laughs> like, okay this is a cautionary tale <laughs> don't date this is a, a milf tale. <laughs> it's a bad idea you're gonna piss off her ex-husband and get shot <laughs> yes i yeah but Very also, like, that, the whole thing with, like, the father approving and the mom not approving, mm-hmm. that feels... Oh, my God. That would totally... Yeah, that that would be me for I sure. I was thinking of, like... And those, those one <laughs> scene, those one scene before the reverse plot happens, where Sissy Spacek and Tom Wilkinson are just arguing yeah. with each other. And, and they're both trying to blame each other for the son's death. And it was so real that I felt like I was there and i should close the door because i shouldn't be listening into it like that that scene just felt so palpable and so realistic that i felt ashamed of being there mm-hmm. because i felt like i shouldn't be listening into such a personal conversation like it, it was truly one of the most powerful scenes that i've seen well it's like uh, it's like the title yeah. though you know in the bedroom keep it in the bedroom just sort of like behind closed doors so maybe oh, yeah. I, I don't know I'm reading it into it that way but <laughs> at least that's how I see it there's a thing with like the lobsters yeah that's with the right? lobsters but I'm just saying from those scenes from those scenes I just sort of feel like those yeah. more private moments you never want like super private shit to just randomly be out like oh yeah I'm gonna shout my frustrations from my therapy sessions in the middle of the street yeah oh yeah well so it's it's also a really interesting choice for a title in the bedroom because in the bedroom made made i mean it made you know i know it made colin think this is gonna be a really hot movie right i I, I did and i I did yeah it was gonna be like you know like maybe like somewhat of a sexual thriller maybe but you know but there isn't really any sex the only hint of sex is like you see Marissa Tomei and, and Frank come out of, of Frank's bedroom and she kind of has some sex hair going and, on. And she's, and she's giggling and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, like, so know? it's like we see them walk out of the room after playing around, but we don't really see any any sex. Um, whereas, okay. but like the, this is based on a, on a book and the title of this book, I think, would have given away too much of the plot. Can you guess what the, don't look it up. Can you guess what the title the is? The Killings, right? Yeah, got you already. I, know I this, watched right? the movie. You, <laughs> no, you, you watched the. You remember the. You remember the credits. All right. It was an opening uh, title card. Uh, I was hoping you would have get. Uh, I bet. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was in the end title card. Yeah, it was in the end title card, not the beginning. It? Yeah, because this is what I'm saying. Is like beginning. if if people know yeah. that this is based on a book called Killings, not the Killings, just Killings. killings. <laughs> Um, then people are going to be like, oh, there's got to be some killings in this. <laughs> I, meanwhile, with a title like In the Bedroom, I did not go in thinking there were going to be killings. <laughs> I thought this was going to be Call Me By Your Name with MILFs. That's truly what Would I believe. Great. Where is the Call Me By Your Name for straight people? 
We should make it. Yeah. <laughs> that is all we ask for. <laughs> we should do it. Yes, yes, because the, the, there have never been movies made for the straight demographic. Never, right. never. <laughs> There's never been movies made for straight white men. We are an unspoken group. Well, actually, now that I think about it, though, are there any movies that show a positive relationship between a young guy and an older woman? Well, there was one in Friends uh, where... Phoebe's brother starts dating his uh, former high school teacher, and that was pretty positive. Yeah. But I guess in terms but of I'm thinking about like, like this, like the, the the graduate, definitely not a healthy relationship. Oh God. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Or uh, what other what other movies? What other milf movies are there? You got a good point, boss. I'm looking up milfs under uh, <laughs> under letterboxed lists, and these are all pretty tragic movies. Yeah. Meanwhile, like there's tons of movies where it's an older guy with a younger woman, and it's like perfectly cool. You know, uh, yeah. every Woody Allen movie. Uh, <laughs> as good as it gets. As good yeah. as it gets. Yeah. It's a terrible Jack Nicholson um, impression, but I tried. <laughs> I thought you were doing like a greasy old Italian man from Well, like, this is as good as it gets. What the fuck are you talking about? It's good as it gets. But anyway, I have finally uncovered a movie where an older woman falls in love with a younger. It's a lonely 40-year-old woman who falls in love with a 14-year-old boy. Uh, is, and this is a no. good... This is framed as a good thing? I don't know yet. Yeah. Probably it's, not. It's by, it's by Agnes Varda. Oh. Uh, it's it's okay. called Kung Fu Master. Kung Fu Master? Duff. Kung Fu Master by <laughs> Agnes Varda. What a the lonely f- f- <laughs> Yeah, a lonely 40-year-old woman finds herself shattering taboos by falling in love with a 14-year-old Julian. But is it romance... Or a desperate attempt to tone back time in the face of middle age. But like you said, Ross, like this like there's no movie where like a twenty year old man falls in love with a forty year old woman. And it turns out okay. And it turns out okay. Like yeah, there's no positive depictions of it. and that's probably because it's not a healthy form of a relationship. Let's be real. Yeah. But there's so many movies where a younger woman marries a man much older than her. And it turns out perfectly okay. Well, like what, like what? G- give me like an example of like I'm. I know for a fact. I'm just trying to think of one off the top of my head. It's just so common. You can't think of one. Yeah, li- like any Nancy Myers movie, any Woody Allen movie. Yeah. I feel like Steve Martin has definitely appeared in some. Oh god, like, yeah. It's also like they're never. It's never acknowledged. Mm-hmm. It's just an age gap yeah. between the actors, and we just pretend the characters are around the same age. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay, guys, what do we think? How many stars would we give in the bedroom? I'm giving it a big old five out of five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, earlier I rated it a four and a half out of five on Letterboxd, but this talk about it made me like it a lot more. Uh, mm, so, yeah, yeah I'm going to give it a five. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, the, I love movies that that get better the more you think about them mm-hmm. you know yeah. what i mean and this is definitely one of those films like i've i've been thinking a lot about damien chazelle's babylon and the more th- i think about it the worse that it gets <laughs> and it's a shame that's what i told I, you that's what i told you <laughs> i really enjoyed viewing it i had a ball watching babylon yeah. that was a blast but nevertheless when i go home and i think about the film 
I'm like, this this doesn't hold. It's up. depressing, this, right? It's just the, a bummer. Not not only that, but the the characters just don't feel fully flushed. It's very self indulgent, of course, but the 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 montage at the end is ridiculous. Yeah. The, the, there's there's a lot wrong with the movie, and the more you think about it, the dumber it gets. But with a Todd Field movie, and clearly he's taken some inspiration from his big hero Stanley Kubrick, who he worked on with in Eyes Wide Shut. The more you think about a Todd Field movie, the more layers are revealed. Like, I, I, I know for a fact that if we all sat down and watched In the Bedroom again tonight, mm. we would uncover more things about this movie. Oh, absolutely. And also, you know what I mean? And also a lot like Kubrick is, like, there's a lot of space between each movie he does, you know? Yeah. He's going at a pace of, like, <laughs> yeah. he's going at, just like Kubrick, he's basically going at a pace of one per decade mm-hmm. um, on average. And so, well, I, I think he wants full creative control. Yeah, and I think well, no, that's I, why all these projects have fell through. I mean, yeah, and also I think it is just yeah. about like just a long pre-production process and like a long, long time finding the right project as well. Because there was a bunch of stuff he did. He was in, he was working on before Tar that he couldn't get off oh, the yeah. ground, and then he finally gets to do Tar. You know, which I think is just a pandemic script. He just wrote Tar during lockdown. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he talked about the Q and A. Yeah. Which, by the way, we used to talk about what Todd Field said to me and Ian. Oh, oh that's right. That's the most important part of the story. We didn't get to that. We didn't. We didn't get to that. Yeah. We didn't get to that. Okay. okay. Tell us. Okay. So, get to that part. So Todd Field gave a great Q and A, but like every Q and A, it was cut way too short. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they do this, but the the person running the Q and A is always just like. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight. <laughs> and the the director was just like, I've only an- answered like three questions. Yeah, what, like, what, what the do fuck, you mean? Bro. And she's like, I said that's all the time we have for tonight. Yeah, like, are they going like, to kick us yeah. out? Like, what's what's the re- like? We can yeah, go it's longer, like we yeah. we own the venue. Yeah, you guys own the venue. We can go for longer. It's, if the director's it's, game, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it's absurd. But either way, anyway. So we were in the lobby. There was a lot of people in the lobby. A lot of great finger food. Mm-hmm. Ian can tell you I had a blast with that finger food. He literally ate and... most of the hot dogs they had in that building. So yeah. and there was this waiter who kept coming back. And uh, Colin would be like, nope, nope, come here, come here. <laughs> yeah, but I would tell this waiter that I wasn't done with him yet. Yep. I mean, like... Like it, it, if if like some bad thing happens to me within the next few weeks, I I would understand. It's calm. We're coming back to me for how I treated that waiter, who I think was a gr- get to the part where you talked Todd Field. We're getting off subject. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Todd Field was in the lobby, surrounded by a whole lot of people, and and Ian and I were like, okay, we should we should go up and say hi to Todd, and so I ran up to Todd Field. And I, I didn't know how to introduce myself, so I said, Hello, Todd. I'm Colin Weir. And he said, Hi, I'm Todd Field. <laughs> I don't know what I... I don't I, I didn't know why I introduced myself as Colin Weir. Like, maybe a part of me thought he was going to say, Oh, wait, THE Colin Weir? Like, like I've a, seen a, your, <laughs> I've seen Guardian Banshee at the... I've seen Guardian Banshee! It wouldn't oh even God. been possible for him to seen it, right? For him to have seen it, right? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even on YouTube yeah. yet. I've, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen Brand's Book at Four on their YouTube channel with 46 <laughs> subscribers. It's one of my favorites. But anyway, I guess I wanted to be really formal and really respectful, so I said, Hey, uh, hello, I'm Colin Weir. 
and he said, hey, I'm Todd Field. And so I just asked him, like, so Todd, how did you get to this point in your career where you could make this massive movie uh, about the, this world-renowned composer and, and, you know, have these huge concert venues and stuff like that? Because me and my buddies are still having a hard time just securing a freaking coffee shop, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and, and he, he, he said to me, it, it takes a long time and you have to pay, pay your dues for a very, very long time. And he didn't direct his first short film until he was over 30 years old. So we beat him to that. Because yeah, we, we, we directed our short films in our teens and 20s. Yeah. And, and so he said to me, like, like he was like a Zen Buddha master. And I was like this impatient young little disciple. And I'm just like, I want to get to where you are, master. And he was just like, patience. You know, the, the, uh, he, he told me that I was right where I needed to be. And that I, I shouldn't try to rust the process. Mm-hmm. And I love that. That was some of the best advice anyone has ever given me. That is really good advice. Like, he's just a great guy. I love Todd so much. And I said to him, I said to him, hi, I'm Ian. And he just went, I'm Todd. (laughs) 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 He was nice. He was really cool, though. He, um, He was really cool. He just seemed like, he just seemed like somebody who, who knew everything and just knew exactly what to say at that point in time. He does seem yeah. like a really smart and chill guy from what I've mm-hmm. watched and listened to. So, is now the time for us to talk about our the short film we're working on? Yay! Yeah, we have a hard time securing a coffee shop for All right. Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Ian, do you want to do you want to pitch it since you're your director? Since I'm directing it, um, so Cosmic Coffee, that's what the film's called is about a family who is refusing to sell their coffee shop to a uh, few corporate greedy kind of guys. And only one of the family members caves in after one of them has a heart attack. And and let's, uh, let's just say that there's something uh, otherworldly about mm-hmm. these uh, corporate guys coming in on the uh, coffee shop. Spooky. Called Cosmic Coffee. The little green around the gills, you could say. Yeah, there's no no twists in this movie. No, trust us. <laughs> no twists in this film, it's a, buddy. It's a very it's a very fun sci-fi horror film that I'm really excited to work with these two on because it's the first time that you know we're really starting something from scratch and doing it together. Yeah. I'm I'm excited for it, and uh, I think you two are too, for the most part. Yeah, I want to give a breakdown. Uh, so sure. Me and Colin are writing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're co-writers. Yes. Colin is like the main money guy. He's lead producer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all kind of producers. Uh, Colin's yeah. the main producer. And then I'm the I'm the guy that has to that they hand paperwork to and says, "Here yeah. you do." Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a, that's yeah. your job. And uh, that's my job. I'm uh, I'm in charge of post production. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm editing and, and all that. And I'm um, directing. <laughs> and yeah, right now we're in pre production. Uh, my least favorite part as a post production guy. <laughs> um, I just want to shoot the fucking thing because I'm really excited about this script. Yeah, we're trying to lock down a coffee shop. So we can shoot the coffee shop scenes, uh, and uh, we're, we're constantly rewriting the script to make it work right. You know, we need to make it shorter. We need to move uh, the these scenes to a different location, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well the, the script in and of itself is a good script for what it is right now. Yeah. 
but it's got a great what, structure. What we've been revising it mm-hmm. is just the shootability of it. Yeah, we're trying to use as little money as we can mm-hmm. to shoot this film. We're probably mm-hmm. gonna do a uh, a crowdfunding. Yeah, it's a go go. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned for more updates. Uh, uh, you know, keep keep you know keep listening to the podcast and stay tuned for updates. We'll let you know uh, when we're starting our crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we'd love for you to help us out. And also, uh, subscribe to this YouTube channel, uh, Stray Dog Media. Uh, if you're you know, listening to the podcast on YouTube, hit subscribe. And so that way, uh, we can, you know, we'll get in the algorithm, we'll get spread around, and then we'll have an audience for when the film finally gets released online. And it's going to kick ass. You know, we want to get as yeah. many eyes on this thing as possible. It's mm-hmm. going to be going on to this YouTube channel, Stray Dog Media. Uh, this is very confusing if you're not listening to this through YouTube. <laughs> um, we, we apologize the, if you're listening to this on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. Yeah, whatever the hell. Oh, right also, now. we're on. Um, <laughs> I got us set up with uh, TuneIn. Oh, and uh, something oh, else. Cool. I forget. I'm I'm slowly trying to get us on all the things mm-hmm. except for maybe Spotify. Okay. Um, I'm fine with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, but. Yeah, guys, we're excited about this movie. This is this is like our first film where the training wheels are off. Yeah, which is scary as shit. But at the same time, we made all our short films in the you know in, in, college. A, in a college environment where you get in access. A college environment, but you get access to equipment. You don't have to rent equipment, and not just equipment, but also feedback from peers. Yeah, feedback from peers. I'll get to reading that. Don't worry about it. I'll read it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and and not only that, but it, it counts as coursework if you work on other people's films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're we're supposed to be paying the people yeah. who we uh, who are working for us, and that's why we're stray dogs. We're, we're stray dogs. dogs. That's why we're stray dogs. We don't have any ins mm-hmm. into the filmmaking world. We are stray dogs on the highway of filmmaking, and we're trying to get onto, you know, a, a nice red uh, van that is just be like with a good redneck who says to us, "Hey, you want to hop in the back of my van?" And we're just a stray dog who's like, "Would I?" And like our tongue is flying as we're racing down the we're, highway. We're, we're, we're dogs in this story, not yeah. We're dogs. We're, yeah, we're we are dogs. We're, we're not trying to get into the van of a of a redneck in a pickup uh, truck as, hum- as humans. Yes, we're dogs as humans, not as free. humans as dogs. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about the metaphor. Yes. We're setting up a good sure. metaphor yes. here about <laughs> about film distribution being like a, a a redneck in a red wagon. I don't know about like, that. Hey, I, hop I along. Feel, I feel that feels, that uh, sounds that feels a little. Gross. Gross. I don't yeah. know. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Cut this entire part yeah, out. No, Please. keeping that. We are, we're, no, keeping we're cutting it. this out. We're cutting this out. No, I think the metaphor is still like, we, we're trading wheels off and that's what makes us stray dogs. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, it's time to talk about the next movies we're going to be talking about. Yes. Yes, so. so All right, so... Uh, uh, Ross, take it away with the film that's currently in theaters that we're going to be watching. Uh... We're all going to try our best to see Skinamarink, the newest <laughs> uh, experimental horror film that somehow has a pretty wide release. Um, from what I've heard, it's like genuinely scary. Like even horror people are getting freaked out by this. Uh, my, a friend of mine told me that like he's glad I didn't see the movie with him because I would have lost respect for him. <laughs> uh, you know, people are coming out of this movie crying like babies because it's like bringing them back to their childhood fears. Um, That's great. Uh, so yeah, Skinamarink. And then Ian, it's your turn to give a recommendation, right? 
Oh, you guys are probably going to hate me for what I'm going to put in, but I haven't watched it in so long and I need a, a refresher. Is, okay. um I enjoy, for the most part, some of Zack Snyder's movies. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, I'm going to say we watch The Watchmen. Yeah! All right. Okay. Never that, seen it. That makes me excited because I was I was really expecting one of the DC movies. So I was, I was expecting Man of Steel or or Justice League or something no. like that. So when you said Watchmen, I'm like, okay, this is this is the best pick out of what he has. Um, and also, I am going to say we're going to be watching the ultimate cut if these two guys can get their oh, hands God on it. Oh goddamn it! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got to see the whole story. How long is the ultimate cut? How long is the theatrical? So the theatrical, I believe, is like two hours and 40-something minutes, and then the ultimate cut is three and a half hours. God damn it, Ian. (laughs) Ian. God damn it. I, like, had to find time in my schedule just to watch this two-hour and 11-minute movie. Exactly. You know? And now and now I gotta now I gotta watch a, a, a three-and-a-half-hour movie. <laughs> it's not even Lawrence of Arabia. You know what I mean? It's Watchmen. It's, it's not this acclaimed masterpiece. It's fucking Watchmen. <laughs> you bastard. Uh, this guy. This, is this worse, fucking guy. This is worse than Wild Hogs. Really? You're going to go that far? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Look, I'll I'll say this. If you can't get your hands on the ultimate cut, then just watch the theatrical version. But I will say that I've seen the director's cut um, and ultimate cut. There's only like 20 minutes more than the director's cut. So either way. Wait, so so, so there's a theatrical, there's the director's cut, and there's the ultimate cut? The ultimate cut has like the entire graphic novel, basically, in the movie. Okay, I kind of want to see that. Okay, all right. So, so basically, the, the so the theatrical cut is two forty. Mm-hmm. The director's cut is around three hours, and then ultimate is three and a half. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll I'll uh. Either way, it's no matter what, it's a long movie. Yeah, no matter what, I would just suggest just trying to find the ultimate cut or the directors, so okay. then. You get right. it over with. I know you guys aren't like. I enjoy some of his movies. I love Dawn of the Dead, that remake. Um, I did enjoy Legend of the Guardians, and uh, yeah, I I when I was a teenager, the last time I saw this movie all the way through was when I was like fourteen, fifteen, something like that. Mm. So, and I loved it back then. So maybe my feelings of it'll change, but. I'm excited to finally see just everything of it. I am begrudgingly intrigued to to watch Watchmen. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm in a similar boat, Ian. I, I remember when I was 10, I thought this was the most kick-ass movie of all time. Right. Yeah. And so, I never I, ne- yeah. I never saw it. I've, I've, I was never like a big Snyder person. I think the only Snyder movie I've seen is probably... Um, his his cut of Justice League, which is pretty good. Mm. Yeah, it, had, it is that? pretty good. It had a cool. It was a cool vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, no, I have nothing against. I don't really have anything against Zack Snyder personally. I just think the scripts that uh, he has yeah. don't always work. I mean, like Man of Steel yeah. and Batman v Superman are the obvious uh, examples. But there's well that and Sucker Punch, but that's a whole nother yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah, we're gonna have an entire episode. Talk about Zacky. Dedicated to Zach. Good old Zacky, man. 
So, old Zachy. once again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Stray Dog Pack. We uh, look forward to chiming uh, in with you guys next week for Skidamovic. And the Watchmen. And the Watchmen Ultimate Cut. <laughs> yep. Oh, and real quick, I want to give a shout out to uh, Christine Joy for making her, uh, our artwork for the YouTube channel. Thank you, Christine. You Great drew job. us as you drew us mm-hmm. as very handsome boys. You did. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next Tuesday. We'll hear you or we'll listen hear to you, you next, next Tuesday. <laughs> you will. You will hear us. You will hear us next Tuesday. You will hear us next Tuesday. You will hear us. Goodbye. Bye bye. Later. Live long and prosper, people.